We continue our look at the letter of First Peter this morning, uh, turning our attention back to chapter 2, looking at verses 11 through 12, and it reads this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. Remember that in chapter 1 of Peter's letter, he reminded us that we have been born again to a living hope. That this birth, this rebirth, was secured through the precious blood of Christ. That it occurred not through perishable seed, if you remember, he used that phrase. It wasn't through perishable seed, but it was through imperishable, meaning that it was a spiritual rebirth. Remember also that as chapter 2 opened, Peter continued this imagery of being reborn or, or being a newborn Christian as he compared our spiritual lives to that of newborn infants. Just like newborn infants must be nourished and grow up into mature adults, well, so too it's that way for the Christian. That we are reborn, but then we must grow. We grow through the Word of God. We are grown and sanctified through the Spirit. And part of this growing up process, this sanctification process, is that we slowly and, and incrementally begin to move away from the priorities of the world. We move away from the things of the flesh, and we move toward the priorities of God. We move toward the things of the Spirit. This is something that we see both in Peter's letter here, but also in places in Paul's letters when he talks of the fruit of the Spirit. He contrasts that with the works of the flesh, so forth. Well, well, so it was at the beginning of chapter 2 that Peter told us, if you remember, that we must put away malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. This was verse 1 of chapter 2. These are characteristics that are very prevalent in the world. They're by no means an exhaustive checklist, but they are a sampling of what drives the world, what characterizes the world apart from the gospel, apart from regeneration in Christ. They are things that define the life of one that is gripped by the flesh. And as a result, they're a sampling of what we now, once we're reborn, what we now are called to proactively flee and fight against through the power of the Spirit. So it is here in these verses that Peter continues this similar train of thought. He once again reminds us of who we are, who we have been made to be by the grace of God. And remember, it truly is all by grace. That just like we cannot cause our own physical birth, like I said a couple weeks ago, we cannot cause our own spiritual birth. It is simply based on the gracious, electing, sovereign will of God. So it is in that Peter reminds us that through the regenerating grace of God, we have been born again and now we are called something. We are named something, just like a, uh, you know, parents name their child and they, and they labor uh, over that name and they, they think about it, they read books, they want it to, to be significant. Well, so it is that when the, the Spirit rebirths us and regenerates us through the grace of God, we are the named. And here we see some of those names. 
Here in our sermon text, again, verses 11 and 12, we see some of those names. We have been called, we have been made to be God's beloved. That's the first one we see. We are the object of his divine affection. We are precious and chosen, adorned with the beauty of his love. And that's amazing. Because you may dwell on your shortcomings. You may dwell on your flaws, your idiosyncrasies. You may dwell on your insecurities and your struggles and the things that the world has labeled you. But God, through faith in Christ, speaks a better word over you. God, through faith in Christ, calls you his beloved. I love the lyrics of that song. We've sung it before. I think I even quoted it last week. I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. We are his. We belong to him. We're his beloved. Or the the lyrics of that familiar hymn, What though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. My God, he knowest none. You see, we might think of our sin, our insecurities, our imperfections, our failings, and we dwell on those things, and we allow those things to label us. But God says, no, not through Christ. Through Christ, through the Spirit, through the forgiveness of sins, through whom I have made you to be, by my regenerating grace, you are my beloved. And you see, through this grace, we are precious We are chosen. We are elected, reborn, forgiven. And because he has caused us to be reborn, because he has called us out of darkness and into this marvelous light, so it is then that he has and is in the process of calling us out of the world and out of this earthly life. This doesn't mean that we check out now. This doesn't mean that we... Um, fail to engage the world. It doesn't mean that we fail to seek the peace and prosperity of our cities as we're told in scripture and as we've talked about in other sermons. It doesn't mean that we seek to be the salt and light, the city on a hill that we're called to be. In fact, the reason why we're not even meeting together currently, the reason that we're abiding by these regulations and requests from our civic authorities to not meet right now, to not gather, is because we do want to seek the peace and prosperity of our city. We do want to be salt and light in a city on a hill. So even though we've been called out of this world, and we're being in the process of being called out of this earthly life and its priorities, it doesn't mean that we still don't have earthly uh, evangelistic responsibilities here. And we, we see some of those things. But it does mean that this isn't our ultimate home, that this world, this city, this globe isn't our ultimate home. It's not our final destination, but rather, what does Peter call us? He says we are sojourners. We are travelers. We are exiles. And here, again, we we, we see Peter repeating what he had said previously in the very beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verse 1, when he says that we are elect exiles. But he repeats it here again in chapter 2 because we constantly need that reminder. And he repeats it because it's very easy to forget. It's an identity that we must remember, and it's one that really cuts two ways. First, 
the fact that we're sojourners or exiles and that this world is not our final home is an encouragement to us. It encourages us when we, when we look around and, and start to conclude that the wheels are just coming off this life. That the, the wheels are coming off this world. Our current social situation, societal situation might qualify for those feelings. It might feel that way right now. But we can take solace that ours is a true and better home. We can long for that that final heavenly city, that celestial city, where everything is put right, where all wrongs are righted, where everything sad comes untrue. So it's an encouragement to us in those difficult moments that we are sojourners, that we are travelers. But secondly, the other way that that it runs is that it exhorts us, it encourages us on where we are to invest our time, our talent, and our treasures. Where we are to invest our time, our talent, and our treasures. I use all those terms intentionally. When we think of one's devotion to God, we tend to only categorize it financially, let's say. We only talk about tithing. We only talk about that treasure portion. But in reality, the call of Scripture goes so far beyond that to also exhorting us to where we must invest our time and our talent, our gifts, our our personalities, all of who God has made us to be. And this is, again, a verse where we were reminded that it's the Lord who is to always get our top priority in all those things. He should get the, the priority of our time, the priority of our talents, and yes, the priority of our treasures as we attempt to lay everything at his feet, as we attempt to bring everything underneath the lordship of Christ in service of his kingdom. And we do that, of course, because who he's made us to be. We are his beloved. We are sojourners passing through to our true home. And so again, yes, we live earthly lives. Yes, we run after and require many fundamental things that all humans do. But we ultimately invest and we ultimately identify not with the things of the world and its passions. For many of those things only distance us from God. Many of those things are devoid of God. In fact, Peter says here that if we chase after those things, the passions of the world, the priorities of the world, if we invest in those things, they actually will wage war against our soul. They will undermine the faith that we're called to have. And so we don't build our lives around those fleeting things, but we ultimately invest and identify our time, our talent, and our treasures in those things that will remain eternally. In the priorities of our true home, which is heaven, and not our temporary home, which is earth. And we hear Christ himself tell us that in his own ministry, that we are to lay up and we are to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, which cannot be destroyed, cannot decay, are not subject to to theft and, and to deterioration, right? But they remain forever. They last forever. We see Peter even talk about that in this letter. As he reminded us of our inheritance, which is being guarded for us, which is in our true home, again, that of heaven. And you see, the amazing thing about this command to godly living 
by Peter, this command to pursue the priorities of heaven and not that of earth, well, that too has an amazing effect on the world and on the people around us. First, Peter says that it will protect our souls. Again, it will protect us from the emptiness and the vanity and the hollowness of a life lived just for the here and now, just for what the eyes can see. He says again, those things of earth will wage war against your soul. And so if you pursue the things of heaven, it will guard your soul. It will protect your soul. It will guard and fortify and preserve your faith. But amazingly, when we pursue the things of heaven, when we pursue the things of God, when we chase after him and our priorities, it also has an amazing evangelizing effect. Notice what Peter says. That we live the way we are called to as Christians so that the world, after it's done slandering us, after it's done mocking us, this is now like in verse 12, keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you, they might ultimately see your good deeds and glorify God. You see, what he's telling us here is that when we live the way we're called to live as Christians, after the world is done slandering us and mocking us, the world will actually be moved toward curiosity at what's different about us. And then as they're moved to curiosity, as they actually hear our testimonies and they hear the gospel, the word of God, some will actually be converted. Some will actually come to confess the Christ and confess the faith they initially ridiculed. That's what Peter means here when he says that they will glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, the world will start off mocking and slandering and misunderstanding Christians. But what happens is that, unfortunately, in the face of those things, too often the church then caters to the world, and too often the church then tries to soft-pedal the gospel or, or water it down as if we can win over the world that way. We cannot offend. We can, we can try to win the world by looking more like the world. But in reality, Peter says it's the opposite. That the strategy given by God is opposite to that. That yes, the world will always start off mocking and slandering and misunderstanding, just like they did with Christ himself. But we are to hold fast. We are to maintain our witness and our testimony. And it's such steadfastness, such honor and integrity that the world is ultimately overcome by. The world ultimately will want to know what makes us different. And, it's, and, it's, and they're then drawn to the power of Christ. But again, that can only happen if we maintain our witness, if we hold fast to our confession. <coughs> if, excuse me, we truly appear to be hoping in something the world doesn't already have. I'll say it again. We can only win over the world if we truly appear to be hoping in something the world itself doesn't already have. And that's why the church has to maintain her priorities. That's why the church can't be so busy trying to look like the world that the world sees the church and goes, well, what's different? You're chasing after the same things we are. John Piper uh, said it one time that, that same way. 
John Piper, uh, you're familiar with John Piper, you know, prolific author, longtime uh, minister up at Bethlehem Baptist, um, the, the leader of Desiring God Ministries, great Reformed Baptist minister and legacy. Um, he once was commenting on actually another verse in 1 Peter. It was um, verse 15. Piper was commenting on verse 15 of chapter 3 when, when Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Basically what he was saying is that we're, we're called there to always give a defense for the hope that's within us. So if people ask, we're ready to present the gospel. And Piper once commented that if people aren't asking you to give a defense for the hope that's within you, then it's probably because we look like we're hoping in the same things as the world. We don't look different, and so they're not going to ask. <laughs> and again, that's a convicting reminder to all of us. That we're to hold fast our witness, hold fast our confession. And that it actually has an evangelizing effect on the world. We don't water down the gospel. We don't soft-pedal the gospel. But we remain vigilant in the gospel. And over time, it catches the world's notice. And they want to know why we're different. And it opens up doors, windows of conversation. To tell people the good news of Christ. So then... Beloved, beloved of God, may we remember our identity as God's chosen and precious bride. May we remember our identity as sojourners and exiles. And may we live out of those identities into a reality that overcomes the slander of the world. And may we live into a reality that draws seekers of all kinds to the grace of God that has come our way in Christ Jesus. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.